So what's Rosh Hashanah all about? What's the uh, themes of the holiday? What are the lessons of the holiday? How do we maximize the opportunities of the holiday? In Judaism, we say that an event, a transformative world event, creates a, a spiritual power that's linked to that event and that is accessible again. So for example... Jewish people left Egypt on Passover. So we celebrate Passover exactly at the same time in the year when the Jewish people had the exodus because that event created a certain spiritual station, a certain spiritual power that is forever fixed to that time. So if someone feels, and like we all really feel, that we could use some degree of personal redemption. When's the best time to do that? At a time where the atmosphere, the aura uh, of redemption is palpable and present and powerful. We search for chametz on Passover. What's that whole notion? The whole idea is it's, it's, it's an entire opportunity to introspect. So we we check the house for chametz, but we have to kind of check our own little world for our own chametz and try to find which areas we need redemption from, and that's the theme of the holiday. And every holiday is like that. Rosh Hashanah is a holiday as well. Yom Kippur is a holiday. You know, well, Rosh Hashanah is, there's, there's an event that happened Rosh Hashanah that's so transformative that it created power within that day that is again re-accessible to us when we encounter that day anew, year after year. Yom Kippur, there was an event that happened, a transformative event that happened on Yom Kippur that's so dramatic and so powerful that Yom Kippur becomes a day where let's try to stop everything and take the power and integrate it into our lives. So what happened in Rosh Hashanah? Adam was created. Unlike other humans that came subsequently, Adam was not born. He was, he was created. Now, the significance of that is a little bit unclear. So Adam was created, so what? I guess it's our birthday. So, uh, so what? So because, it's, because it's the birthday of Adam, and by extension, the birthday of humanity, of mankind, therefore, it's a powerful day. But why exactly? And also, how does that really align with the themes of, of Rosh Hashanah? If you look at Rosh Hashanah, you look at all the themes, look at the prayers, look at the liturgy of the holiday. Well, the nickname of the holiday is that it's called the day, either day of judgment or a day of Yom Teruah, a day of the shofar. What does that have to do with Adam, Adam being created? Adam is created. We should have, I don't know, a humanistic day. We're talking about God. It's a very God-centric holiday. The prayers are all about God's dominion, God's kingdom, and God's sovereignty uh, over the world. What does that have to do with man? So what does the fact that it's our birthday have to do, A, with God's dominion over the world? What does that have to do with anything? 
you know, God was a king way before we got around, number one. And number two, what does that possibly have to do with judgment? And how do, like, how do all the themes of Rosh Hashanah align? Start from the bottom up. Because I think it really, you know, it's the birthday of mankind, but mankind is more than just a very sophisticated animal. Our biology textbooks, they tell us something which is wrong, but also counterintuitive. Man is put along um, a continuum of less sophisticated beast to a little bit more sophisticated, more sophisticated, and voila, we have humanoids. Uh, so the problem with that is, first of all, it's not true, because there isn't any correlation between the animals to humans. There's no, like, humans of half-human intellect or animals of half-human intellect. Now, the reason why that, that, that's wrong, because there's, there's no evidence to that, but also it's counterintuitive, because if so, we should be the most advanced of the animals, yet we're the least advanced. And in fact, there's not a single animal, with the exception of domesticated animals, that's your size, that can absolutely rip you to shreds in seconds. So we're a very weak and feeble creation, but somehow we're the most sophisticated, on the other hand. So it's counterintuitive. But to us, we look at man as being qualitatively different than animals. How so? Man has free choice. Free choice means conflict. The reason why we have free choice is because we're conflicted. We have dual allegiances. We have dual entities that are combating internally for, uh, for our identity. You know, we have, we have a, a physical iteration, a body, so to speak, that is materialistic and physically oriented, that is propelled and governed by Yetzirah, that we could call, on one hand, its instinct, animalistic instinct, like all other animals have, but it's a little bit more also desirous of sin, on one hand. On the other hand, we have a soul that the Talmud said is, it says is comparable to God and holiness. And that has an entirely different agenda for man. It wants man uh, to be intellectual. It wants man to be forward-looking. It wants man to be spiritual. It wants man to overcome instinct. It wants man to change. And free will is at the nexus of these uh, conflicting elements, and thus it's, it's, not, it's not freedom. Freedom would be we don't have to make important you know, decisions with what we're going to live and what we're going to prioritize in our life because you know, we don't have to make that choices. To, to be forced to live in conflict is not freedom per se. It's, it's, it's a task that we, that we do. But that really puts humans in an entirely different realm. It's almost as if you have animals or beasts that are, all of them are programmed. You know, they have a way that they behave that is a result of their... DNA, you know, their, their physiology, that's what that makes them up, you know, you know what, what's, what's their makeup. And that's physical, and that's instinctual. And then you have angels, and angels also can't make choices, because angels are entirely spiritual, entirely intellectual, and they don't have a physical matter that binds them together the way we would say. It's, it, it's just an entirely different plane, entirely different realm. And then you have us. We're beasts, 
There were angels that are fused together. And that's why the entire world is really about us. Because we're the only variable that can change. We're the only, you know, the only unknown in the world is humanity. Angels will always behave angelically. Beasts will always behave beastly. Humans, we're wild cards. Because it's up to us. And that's why you have some humans that are very beastly and some humans that are very angelic. As, and there's a huge spectrum all the way in between because that's us. And, and we're an entity. This new fusion is an entity onto its own. And thus, we're the only thing that really matters. We're the only thing that can really change or matter or be meaningful. Now, when we think about you know, the Almighty's dominion over the world, there's nothing that any one of us could do for God. God doesn't need any of our mitzvos. He doesn't need our prayers. He doesn't need our Torah study. He doesn't need our kindness. He doesn't need our charity. Nothing. You can't, you can't improve God. God doesn't get a good feeling uh, of dopamine you know, when someone does a mitzvah. But we can actually affect, in a weird way, the dominion of God. Now, not essentially, but the way it's actually perceived. So we spoke about you know, dictators, right? So what's a dictator? What's between a dictator and a benevolent monarch? A monarch, an absolute monarch, has absolute authority and control. But the people love him. He's their leader. A dictator also has complete control. But the people hate him. So the control and dominion is the same. The difference is one of them is the king. And one's called a Moshe, a ruler or a dictator, but not a king. We, as humans, with free will, are the only entities that can take God, the dictator, who has control, whether we like it or not, and turn him into God, the king. Because we have free will, and thus we can choose to become more like angels that recognize God's dominion, or more like animals that don't even think about that. That's us. And the birthday of this idea of humanity, Rosh Hashanah, and thus the birthday of God's dominion as king, is also Rosh Hashanah. So that's the connection. And on its own merit, I think it's a very powerful lesson to show the role of man we, like that's, that's what it is. That's, that's an incredible role in a big cosmic view of the world of what we can accomplish. It's in our hands. It's not in God's hands. God has all the power. That, that's not changing. But we can, we're the only unbiased entity, so to speak, because... The Almighty allows us to have choice and therefore we can reject God. It's possible. There's loads of people that do that. We can embrace and accept God. And there's people that do that as well. How is that possible? Well, that's the, the answer is, is that that's what it means to be human. And the whole purpose of all the entire world is this question. Will humans opt to become more angelic and to favor that side of their, of their, of their physiology 
of their makeup, and thus take God the dictator and turn him into God the king? Or will we ignore God and reject God? God will still be in control, absolute control, but it will be irrespective of the constituency. That's, what, that's the purpose of the world. And everything else that's not part of this, uh, of, of this paradigm, that's not, that's not the human who really is the variable, all that is there to service the human. So, why did the Almighty create animals? Well, the animal, that is only there because the animal can create the arena for the human. You notice, if you notice in, the, in, the, in creation story, the last thing to be created is the human. Says the Talmud. Human's the purpose of everything. Therefore, you create the arena, and then you bring the football team in, right? Everything is there to serve the feature presentation. We're the feature presentation. Us humans are the feature presentation. Everything else in the world is there because it provides an arena for free will. So Adam is created. There's been animals before. There's angels already before. And then there's this fusion, this, this bizarre breed. We're really a bizarre breed. We're, we're conflicted. We're, that's why humans behave so strangely. Like humans, there's such a spectrum of behavior. How is that possible in the same species? Species are governed by rules, and they behave in, in line with those rules. So, there, so, you know, so yes, you have a, your dog is lazy, fine. You know, but, but it's still a dog. I once gave you this example. It's a weird example, but it does demonstrate this point. Animals cannot go on hunger strikes. It's not possible for an animal to go on a hunger strike. A human, not on Sharansky. Nathan Sharansky was a refusenik. A refusenik is someone on the Soviet Russia who was refused a visa to emigrate to Israel. Russian Jews, a Russian Jew who was not allowed to emigrate to Israel is called a refusenik. Well, the most famous refusenik is Nathan Sharansky. Nathan Sharansky was a, a very, still, still around today. He's the head of the Jewish agency now. Brilliant. Uh, brilliant uh, Russian Jew, and he was imprisoned. He was put in the gulag, prison for for a decade. He was imprisoned, and in prison, you know what he would do in prison? Something I would do in prison. They keep you in a cell by yourself for ten years. They keep you in a cell. The Russians, they don't care for for being someone who wants to go to Israel. They're, you know, just unbelievable. So he would play chess, but how would he play chess? He would, in the little two-inch slot of air that they put his food in, he would call to the other play to the other other Russians being held in these, you know, in these prisons, and they would, you know, you could play chess by, you know, every square has, you know, has a name. You know, there's e, the 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 A column and the B column, and the, right, A to H. And they'd play these games of chess in their heads uh, to kind of keep their sanity. He went on a 116-day, pretty sure it was 116-day hunger strike to protest his conditions. And we have a big deal because the people, people in the whole world found out about this. Your question is, how do you not die if you don't eat for 116 days? Good question. Every two days, they'd take a pipe, they'd shove it down his esophagus, and they'd pour this disgusting protein mix 
absolutely disgusting down that pipe into the esophagus, and you're not dying. Is, can an animal do that? No. Animals cannot conscientiously refuse something that every fiber of their body is telling them, I need food. You know why? Because to them, that, their instinct dominates them. So what, their instinct might be a little bit different, but they're dominated by instinct. That's what animals are. Angels are, are somewhat the same as well. They're also dominated by their instinct. You can't have an angel go rogue. It's not possible. Because, but, but their instinct is entirely spiritual. And therefore, they're all spiritual. But then you have this fusion of the two, and that's why we have seen so many, such a wide divergence uh, in behavior amongst, amongst humans. But because we have that, we choose, we can choose to opt in to accepting God. So Adam's created. And what happens on day one? So the mirror just tells us what happened. When the animals saw Adam, they thought he was God. And they went to him and they started genuflecting to him. Bowing to him. Why? Because Adam, at the time before he sinned, he was a very impressive figure. And he said to them, No! You have the wrong guy. And then he taught the animals to actually go bow down to God himself. Now, of course, like this is a common idea. Like, I, what's idolatry? Idolatry is to stop one, to get off the train one station before the correct destination. You know, if someone says, hey, we have a powerful sun, let's worship the sun. It's a good idea to say we have a powerful sun, but take it to the next station and say, wow, thank you, God, for giving us a powerful sun. So the animals, they made that mistake, and they see Adam, and he's such an impressive character, and therefore they say, huh, like this is our guy. Like, you know, this, is, this is our deity. And Adam says to them, no, no, no. There's God. Now, Adam chose to accept God, and a shift happened that had never been in existence prior, whereas God was always in existence, but there was never someone who was independent verification, like the consumer reports. Someone who is not tainted by any prejudice can uh, opt in to accepting God's dominion, and that's the first time that that happened. So therefore, while it's the anniversary of mankind, it's also the anniversary of mankind's decision to change God from a dictator to a king, and thus it's the anniversary of God's kingdom as well. So we see these dual themes throughout Rosh Hashanah. We, we, we talk about self-reinvention. Big theme Rosh Hashanah. To analyze your life, your priorities, your values, what are you spending your time with, how do you, how do you change? How do you reinvent yourself? This is the holiday to do it. You know why? Because this is the day we were created. If we want to be recreated and re- to start from scratch and rebuild ourselves, this is what we do. That's the idea of, of resolutions. This is the anniversary of mankind's creation. Therefore, every year when we revisit it, we're being created anew. 
when you bring created a new, you want to opt for a better, a better model. It's like if you get a phone, your phone breaks, right? You get a new phone, you're going to say, give me the same 5S that I had last time. You say, no, once you get a new one, get the nicer one, the one that has all the advanced features, minus a few, <laughs> right? That's what you want. We're being recreated from scratch. Let's get a better model. Well, let's, let's opt. So, let's, so what do we want? We want faster resolution or faster processor. We want to upgrade. Well, let's take the resolution. Let's upgrade the model of our humanity that we're creating. That's from our perspective. And that's the opportunity of the day. What a day. You're being recreated. How do you want to be recreated? Decide. Set out the plan of what you want. Make your choices of what's important and what you want to be recreated for for the new year. On one hand. On the other hand, well, this is the first, the day of the creation of God's kingdom. But what happens in Rosh Hashanah? That's recreated. So it's almost as if there's a new administration coming in. This was the day where the founding of God's dominion, of God's kingdom, from a, from a dictatorship to a kingdom, every year that is being renewed again. Well, what happens when a new administration comes into office? What's the first thing they do? The first thing they do is they do an evaluation. Do an assessment. Okay, well, that's the judgment. So we have, that's a third theme. Reinvention of man, recreation of God's dominion, and now judgment. Well, that's a direct byproduct of the theme of the holiday because God's kingdom is being renewed. Right away, you have judgment because, okay, who is a positive contributor to the kingdom and should be evaluated and treated as such, and who's an impediment to the kingdom, and who should be fired from their job. Thus, really, it all stems back to that massive event that happened with the creation of Adam and his subsequent accepting of God as king. And what's the judgment about? So we're being judged. We're being judged who is worthy of uh, being kept on board for the new administration. Well, what do we use? What's the litmus test? Who is a positive influence on the kingdom and who's a negative influence on the kingdom? You know, we have a name for that. It's called mitzvahs. What is a mitzvah? Well, literally the the word mitzvah means commandment. But what does it imply? A commandment by whom? It's a commandment by God. So what is someone doing when they do a mitzvah? They are declaring, I am accepting God as king. They're opting in the free will spectrum that they have to opt to be more angelic and to voluntarily choose to accept the mitzvah and to accept God as king. And what happens when we're judged in Rosh Hashanah, we're being judged specifically in this point. Who is positively affecting the kingdom via performance of mitzvahs? And that's what mitzvahs are all about. 
That's how mitzvahs connect to the grand steam of what God wants in the world. A mitzvah is an opportunity for us to opt in to God's sovereignty and dominion of the world. That's what a mitzvah is. We reject the mitzvah. What are we doing? We're rejecting God. That's why the commentators say, the Talmud really says this, Talmud hints at it. If you actually read the Torah, it's also implied in the Torah that there's really only two mitzvahs. Faith, accepting God. Idolatry, rejecting God. But faith is broken down to 248 different parts. Really, 248 different categories of one mitzvah, which is to accept God. Because there's 248 positive mitzvahs, and each one of those positive mitzvahs is an act that you're doing because God tells you to do it. It's a mitzvah. And what's a negative mitzvah, a negative commandment, a a prohibition? There's only one prohibition. It's idolatry. Don't reject God. Well, how do we break that down? 365 different categories of that one thing. Don't do idolatry. Don't reject God. Because if God says, Ah, I have a commandment for you. And you say, I have a better idea. I don't like your commandment. It's not modern. Or it's archaic and obsolete. It's arcane and esoteric. It's not for me. So to you, you know, that may sound to a lot of people, they're like, well, you know, I have my Judaism. I do Judaism my way. Forget about Judaism for a second. God tells you to don't do something. You're saying, I'm going to do it anyhow. What are you showing? You're showing you don't actually, you aren't actually living with the principle that God exists. So you're someone who's saying, no, God should be a dictator. God still exists regardless of what you say. You can't change God's status. But you can change, of control, but you can change it from being a kingdom to being a dictatorship. And you're, you're reversing the progress that our nation has been dedicated to bringing in the world. This is, what does it mean to Quran? Fix the world. How do you fix the world? Fix the world by making the world reflective of the principle of God. What does that look like? It's a kingdom where the nation accepts God. That's fixing the world. That's what the words mean, tikkun olam, to fix the world. The world's broken because we have the option to reject God. If the world is full of angels, well, there wouldn't be, there's nothing to fix. It's fixed. The problem is the world's full of us. And we're conflicted. And we don't necessarily display faith in our behavior in our life. It's broken. So we do a mitzvah and we fix. We withhold from a sin and we fix. And someone says, ah, mitzvahs are traditions that were nice and meaningful um, 2,000 years ago. A mitzvah, people say like this. People say, well, kosher, right? Kosher was just... um, uh, it was sanitary. People who say that are just, they're ignorant of fact. That's not why we do a mitzvah at all. It's not because of hygiene. It's because of faith and bringing God as, into the world as a king and fixing the world. Even mitzvahs, that, that's why we're giving mitzvahs that don't make sense to us. There's a reason why we're giving mitzvahs that don't make sense to us. And that is to say, don't, you know, a lot of mitzvahs make sense to us and that's, and that, and that's good. But there's, there is a lesson to be told that we're doing a mitzvah just because God wants us to do it, and God asks us to do it, and by doing it, we demonstrate God exists. That's a very powerful thing. To do, to do something specifically because 
God told you? That's ever more powerful. When someone says, well, kosher was just about hy- you know, hygiene, no. It's in, in fact, it's the opposite. Hear me out. This is a little bit of a subtle point. It's actually the opposite. If someone says, hey, pigs aren't kosher because pigs eat trash. A lot of people say that. When in fact it's the exact, exact opposite. Pigs eat trash because they're not kosher. The Almighty chose for whatever reason some animals are kosher, some animals are not kosher. Therefore, he made the animals that are kosher that are healthy are health, that are healthy for us, and the ones that are not kosher are not healthy for us. That's why he did it. Not the other way around. I'll say, oh well, the sages uh, they knew which animals were co- were healthy, and therefore they said those are kosher. No, no, no. It's the opposite. It's exactly the opposite. Precisely the opposite. Because the Almighty made these kosher and these not kosher, therefore the Almighty says, oh. The kosher ones will make it nice and healthy and enriching. And the non-kosher ones, those will be the ones that eat the trash. It's a very powerful day and a very powerful lesson. You learn about the, the holiday. And now, like, we, now we know what a mitzvah is. To us, we just thought mitzvahs are things you got to do because you're Jewish. Nebuch. You could have been born in any family in the block. Any family in the block. I was born in the Jewish family. And have all these restrictions, what I can't do on Saturday, and what I, what I can't eat on Passover, and you know, who am I allowed to marry, and what am I allowed to do, and what I have to wear. I just got unlucky. That's what people think. It's just, this is the tradition, this is just the way it is. It's such, it's such a, it was lots childish, but it's, it's also ignorant of, of, of what a mitzvah is. A mitzvah is a declaration of faith. And a declaration of faith is why we are here. That's exactly why we're here. We think, you know, why, why are we here? It's just, a, it's just a powerful question. We're all here. We're all in this world. We all have met we, probably thousands of people in the past week, encountered them in some way or another. And there's millions of people on this continent. Why are we all here? We live in the world, we're just running around from place to place, from job, and then get home, Right away, there's something to watch on the television. Right? And then you get tired, you go to sleep, and you start it all over again, and there's 11 hours of football on Sunday. And people actually never ask the most important question you should possibly ask. The most important question is, why am I here? Why? It's a very powerful question, but it's so fundamental, and you would think that most people have thought about that. 99% of people have not. But the reason why you're here is to become great. To engage in your free will, to become more like an angel. And what does that mean? To display God in the world. How do you do that by mitzvahs? So we can almost say, just if you can complete the syllogism here, we are here. The reason why we are created is to do mitzvahs. That's the reason why we're here. That's it. And, and, um, like, and you know, we, we just spelled it out in, in 30 minutes. Like this, this, is, this is it. And this is the holiday. With the whole holiday dedicated to this. A new man. A man with free will. Free will can choose God. How do you choose God with mitzvahs? And that's the purpose. Simple. We're here to do mitzvahs. 
It's not just uh, clever rabbis 2,000 years ago or 3,000 years ago figured out a system that, you know, could, we could have a system where people don't kill each other. You could have a system like that with seven Noahide mitzvahs. Simple. It's very easy. Don't kill, don't steal, don't murder, don't, don't rape, have a system of laws, and you're good. It's really not so hard. It's a mistake to say that it's just to create a, a, a moral good society. It's a mistake. The reason why we're here is to become great. What does it mean to become great? Become angelic. How do you become angelic? Well, you have it within you. you we all have souls. But the souls are not the only influence. If they were, we'd look either like Adam or like an angel, or maybe they're actually the same. What was really the difference? Adam Priestin, that is. He changed the whole he changed the whole thing. Six hundred and thirteen mitzvahs, so many of them. It's really bizarre. It's not to create just a moral and just society where people could be happy. Because you know what? It doesn't answer the question. You know, it's just a, it's just a race to the finish line. Pe- people live, how long they live? I think now the um, global life expectancy is 70 years. In America, maybe it's 78 for men, and I think 80-something for women. Women always have a longer life expectancy. You know, I don't know why. I guess because they're less likely to go uh, bungee jumping or <laughs> into war. I always wonder, like, what do people who don't have faith or don't live with faith, what do they think? Is it just a? Te- it must be terrifying for people who don't have faith to think about what's going to be when it's just, it's just this. You know, it's like those TV shows. I don't watch TV, but I've heard that there's these TV shows where. You allowed to do these like spending sprees. You have like sixty seconds to like buy. Is that, does that exist? I, I think so. It does. Thank you. Okay. Well, you have you have like sixty seconds to go in a store and grab whatever you want off, off the shelf. That's basically what life is for people without faith. It's like just mad rush, and then but when you fill up your your what's called, they just take it away, and you're left with nothing. It's just like what what happens? Like you know what's going to be the what's going to be with all of us. Our bodies are going to stop working. Our souls are going to be separated. And we're going to be dead. And they're going to put us in the ground. Best case scenario, eaten by maggots. The best case scenario. And that's a fact. Everyone in this room and everyone you know. That's a fact. And you know what? If you don't have faith, that's absolutely terrifying. It's just, you know, it's just nothing. That's it. It's just the, they pull the plug and just, I guess it's black, I don't know, your conscious ends and that's it, it's just done and you're forgotten forever. I guess that's what people, I don't know, that's terrifying to me. It's very scary. It's very frightening. But I, I'm, I guess that's what people believe, I don't know what people believe. You know, but we, we believe in the existence of the soul and thus we, not just resurrection, resurrection it's nice because we think about we'll get a body again. But we know who needs the body, right? We have a soul. The soul is our consciousness, our intelligence, us. But our spiritual and unbreakable and eternal uh, aspects. And, and here, like, we look at this world as being temporary. This world is, you know, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's just a means to our real life. You know, we talk about the afterlife. It, I would argue that it's, not, that it's, a, it's the wrong term. 
It's not that's the afterlife. This is the pre-life. We're just getting ready, right? We're getting ready. But how are we getting ready? With mitzvahs. And specifically to the degree that someone is able to establish themselves as a soul, that's the degree of life that they have once their body is removed. Think, think about it. You're dead. You're dead. What does that mean? It means your body is put on the ground, it's eaten by maggots. But are you dead? You're a soul, right? But are you a soul? You, this life is the pre-life, but it's highly consequential. Because to, to the degree that you're able to swing yourself to becoming more soul-like, then when the body is removed, you'll have life because you're soul-like. And that, that, you know, that you don't lose. If someone stays on the body half of the, of, of the spectrum, well, that's, who, that's, what they, that's what they die as. And you know what? Then they're, they're dead because they're a body and the body is dead, right? So our choosing the mitzvahs and God, which is the theme of the holiday... It's not just that we can change God from being... like It matters to us. Because our eternal life and eternal existence is all hinging on our capacity to become as soul-like as we possibly can before the opportunity is taken away from us. We become soul-like, and then when the body is removed, we're still vital because we're soul-like. If we never became soul-like, then we are what we are. We're body-like, and when we had the option to choose, we chose for body. Okay, the body's dead, and we're dead. Our soul wants to commit suicide. Even though it's suicide, it's terrible, but because it's so unbearable to be with a body because there's such opposites. It's almost as if you have the two magnets, very powerful magnets, and you put them in opposition. They're, they're repelling each other, but the Almighty comes and binds them together, and they're together. And no matter what, they're together. And there's nothing we can do about it. We have to just live our lives. But the hope is that we opt for one side of the coin uh, in favor of, of our soul uh, and we look at the body as a tool. The body as a vessel, as a vehicle to hold our soul. You know, the, the, body is a, the body is very holy but because, not essentially it's holy, you know, if you take a body, you can break it down into materials that you could buy for like five dollars in a in a pharmacy. But is that a body? What is a body? A body is a vessel for a soul. So therefore, the body is very powerful, not essentially, but because it harbored a soul. That's why we treat a body very respectfully. You know, when, when, when someone dies, the body is treated with a lot of dignity. Not because, you know, it's valuable on its own right, but because it was once a home, haven to a, to a soul, even though that was, not, that was not a very pleasant experience for the soul at all. Now, as to whether or not the, body, the soul is happy when it gets departed, so you would think it gets now it's free, right? Problem is, is that now that it's, it's lived 70, 80 years with a body and the choice that someone makes actually affects the soul as well. So think about it. Someone opts to become more like a soul and that preserves the integrity of the soul because the person is not live, living in opposition to the soul. 
right? If someone opts to be like a body, he's dragging the soul with him because it's the human is the confluence of everything, humans, body, and soul together. For the human has the ability to 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 unify with their choices both body and soul. So we can choose to make soul body soulful, or we could choose soul to to make soul like the body and demote it from its status. So yes, it's nice for the soul to be freed of its bondage. The problem is, what does the soul look like after it spent 80 years with a body and a human and the decisions that they made? Sometimes it doesn't look anything like the original soul. It got sullied, it got tampered, it got ruined, it got, you know, got messed over by, by the decisions of, 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 of the man. And so the Gemara says, well, what's death? Death is separation of body and soul, right? What does that look like? So the Gemara says that there's, the Gemara in Brachos says that there's 903 different kinds of death. We think death is death, right? You're dead or you're alive. Maybe it's brain dead versus your, your heart stops beating versus brain dead. Either way, but you're, you know, you're either alive or you're dead. Says the Gemara, no, the, the death, because death is separation of body and soul, to the degree that the soul got enmeshed in the body, and the body, in turn, influenced the soul negatively, that's the degree of difficulty of separation of the two. But if someone preserved the purity of the soul by uplifting and making the body soulful, making the body holy, with mitzvahs, once again, by bringing God into, well, mitzvahs not with our body, to purify our body, if someone does that, well, then the separation of the two is very seamless. Like pulling... Like pulling, no, like Moses had this death. Like, no, no, it was, no, it was not painful. His soul didn't want to leave. because the soul, which is opposite to every soul, of, our soul wants to leave. Our souls, collective souls that are in this room, it's weird to think about it, but all of them would prefer to be dead. All of them. Just do me a favor, don't do your souls any favors, Okay. <laughs> No, but that's, that's, that's the truth. And that's, that, that's the human condition. Because our bodies aren't pure yet. The, the story about Moses, that Moses' Moses's soul said that there's no better haven for me than Moses' body. Because Moses' body was so pure that he uplifted the body to such a degree that his body was a better place than the heavens for the soul. That's Moses. He still had the same seamless death of separation of the two. But, and then that's the stride. So you have a glass of milk and you have a hair and you just pull the hair out and it's so smooth and so painless. Now, but, you know, but these are very powerful ideas. And it really, I think, it ought to upgrade and augment our perception of what it is to, what it is to be a human and what it is you know, to be a Jew and what it is to be a believer and what like and what what the holiday is all about, but what all holidays are all about, and what all what Torah is all about, what's mitzvah is all about. It, it really changes the entire perspective because now it all makes sense. We're humans, we have free will, we could choose to upgrade the level of God. And how do you do that? By either opting to be soul or to be body, and everything else falls into place as a result of our decisions. We read about about Abraham about Isaac, about Sarah, about a lot of great people, that the, the Torah uses a lot of very strange 
lingo to describe their death. And they live for a hundred years, a hundred days, plus, you know, full years. These are the days of the years of their lives. Very strange wording because the way the Torah looks at life is not just someone's alive. You know, we have a, a similar idea. Like, you see someone, God forbid, God forbid, someone's a vegetable, right? Someone's, they're, they're in a coma. They're not at all communicative. Are they alive? They're dead? They're, are they alive? I don't know. It's kind of hard for us to say, right? Yeah, maybe technically they're alive, but is that really what life is? I know it's a hard question for us to answer, right? How does the Torah look at us? The Torah looks at us. Like, our life is not by our body, but by our soul. Is our soul alive or not? That's the question. So it's possible we're vegetables. Hopefully we're not, right? But like from the Torah's perspective, we're not even alive. Because what is life? Is life just eating and drinking and watching TV and going to your job? And Is that what life really is? Abraham, he lived. It's talking about his death, but it's talking about his life as well. What does it mean he lived? It means his soul, that is what was living. His soul lived. It wasn't just alive like we see in automaton. It's just a humanoid. It's just living. Yeah, we could live, and we, you know, we could our, be totally alive, but be actually dead spiritually. When the Torah is de- declaring someone's, someone lived, they're, ta- they're talking from the Torah's perspective. The Torah's perspective of life is to be spiritually alive. So that's that, guys. It's a very powerful holiday. There's a lot of very powerful themes that we have. It's, a, it's an opportunity for, for self-reinvention. Like, that's just alone. Like, that's enough to, like, wow, you know. You know we, all, we all have a, a, a plan for ourselves and hopes and dreams of, you know, what we could become and what, you know, we have potential that we would like to unlock. Just, we never really sit down to think about it. Well, this is, this is it. We have a holiday. That's what, that's what it's supposed to do. That's on a very basic level, like for everyone, really. You know, we don't want to, you know, we, you know, we don't want necessarily to, to do the whole thing. Well, this is the basics. It's our birthday. It's the day where we were created. We're recreated again. And that's a very good baseline to start our relationship with the holiday. But what that created, what that engendered, all the way back in, Ab- in, in Adam's time, is still active today. Like Adam introduced the idea, which is the purpose of the world. That's God's dominion, God's kingdom over everything. And thus, it's the anniversary of that idea as well. And that brings with it the, uh, a reframing of, of what our purpose is. What's, what's the idea of free will? And what is the makeup of, of uh, what's the makeup of humanity? And all that is, and, and the impact of our decisions and the role of mitzvahs and our ability to contribute towards tikkun olam, towards making the world, uh, making the world great again.